This is Channel 253. Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We, we fly, fly Alaska. Alaska. Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. One, two, two. Interchangeable. White Ladies. Welcome to the Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast. I'm Hope. I'm Annie. Our essential question today, what does it mean to be educated for liberation and why does it matter? With us today is an awesome guest, Kelly Nichols. Hi, Kelly. Hey. Hello. Uh, She is a local educator and an organizer around the concept of liberated learning. And so today we're going to learn what the heck liberated learning is. I think this is going to be a very education junkie kind of wonky conversation, but we'll try to keep it honest and open and relevant for all you listeners who are not in ed and are just driving to your other job that's not teaching necessarily. (laughs) So um, thanks for listening and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. I'm so honored to be invited. I was super excited um, when we talked about having you come on the show because Annie Mm -hmm. and I, full disclosure, we used to work with Kelly. Yeah, it's true. um, Which was awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. And then she came out and spoke to our Teachers United group on our advocacy day that we had back in February. And so at that time, she was telling kind of a story of her journey that I thought was especially relevant for people to listen to. So would you mind starting with that? Like, how did you go from being a student to being a school leader? Started at the bottom and now you're... All the way up. Piled with paperwork. Um, So, yeah. So, I was born and raised in San Bernardino, California. That's where I was educated for my K-12 education. Um, My parents moved there. My dad was military. um, And um, I was in the GATE program. uh, So, that's your gifted and talented education. I was tracked, uh, formally tracked, um, and went to magnet schools in the um, quote-unquote poor part of town to help that school um, get money. Um, I was tracked into the gifted education program, certainly because my British mother called the school district to enroll me in school. And they heard this nice little accent and they said, (laughs) oh, we can't wait to enroll your child. Um, And you might want to get them tested and set up a date and a time. And then when my African-American father walked me into the doors of the testing center, they're like, what are you here for? And skirt gave us the name. And they're like, oh, Um, so that was interesting. I didn't know that at the time. I was um, young and naive, but my father was very Mm. um, aware of what was going on. Anyways, but I I passed. So um, they put me in gate. Um, And I um, had a wonderful learning experience. (laughs) I had a great time in school. I had great teachers. I had great friends. Um, but I was in a very white-centered space and um, went to school alongside students of color, um, black and brown students, and um, saw very clearly as I grew up that my education was very different from them. And literally, like, you know, most of California schools are in wings, and there's, like, the gate wing, and then there was the regular wing, and our wings were very, very different spaces. Did you have, like, uniforms and stuff for the two areas? Or no. <laughs> you could just see people across the wing, like, You hey. did, yep, yep. And we really didn't, like, communicate. I had a lot of friends who were, quote-unquote, non-gate mm. um, because I played sports. Mm. Um, and a lot of my friends were, like, cheerleaders and, like, that kind of stuff, right, which is interesting, too. Um, so that's, you know, I guess how I, like, um, traversed both worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was also not white. So mm-hmm. I think that kind of helped, too. I, I got to make some friends and develop some familiarity, um, I think, because racially we were a little bit mm-hmm. more aligned. Mm-hmm. What were what were the dem- demographics of the other students in your program? Um, 
in so like in my classes, we were a majority white, mm-hmm. um, and then you kind of had your tokenized like black kid here and there, and some mm-hmm. biracial kids like mm-hmm. myself. And um, it was an interesting time, though, to be clear that um, the base closed when I was ten, and so mm-hmm. there was a lot more diversity. Mm-hmm. And a lot more like multiraciality that existed when I was starting at school. And then a lot of those families moved out because they Mm. were transferred. Um, And there was also a lot of white people who moved out. So the good old white Mm. flight um, moved up to the high desert. Good old white flight. Um, (laughs) So I was really, I mean, I'm I'm really, I guess, kind of blessed in terms of the sociological aspect of Mm. how um, to really witness and be part of that generation where you really see like your entire Mm -hmm. neighborhood move out. um, Mm -hmm. And then you see very different people move in. So this was when a lot of, um, you know, this is the 90s in Mm -hmm. L.A., a lot of, you know, suburban sprawl and a lot of Mm -hmm. convicts and quote unquote criminals, right, are like forced out because they can't live in the same city um, when they're on parole and those kinds of things. And so um, it's really interesting. The Inland Empire was a very radically changing place when Mm -hmm. I was growing up. Um, It's settled in now and unfortunately it's a very depressed place Mm -hmm. um, and majority People of color in schools look very different and the whole function looks really different, good, bad, or indifferent. But mm-hmm. yeah. And so my first year of teaching, so I became an educator um, because of this. Um, and I, I didn't like it. And then it was very close to home because I, um, you know, fell in love in high school and dated a guy for eight years um, and all through high school and watched him, you know, essentially be muled for an um, athletic system. Mm-hmm. Right. So this was not the high quality football program that Abe's are used to. Um this was, you know, your quintessential, hey, you're really good. Mm-hmm. Um, he graduated with a 2.0. He never went to class, like, ever. The one class he did go to, funny enough, was the one black teacher mm-hmm. um, yeah. who was also a football coach. And it was his junior English class. And he went to that guy's class mm-hmm. and um, learned something. Mm-hmm. Um, shocker. Anyway, um, yeah. I – and so that really was personal for me. Um, so then not only did I want to become a teacher, like, because I didn't like the way schools were run, mm-hmm. I wanted to become a teacher and really focus on – um, black and brown mm-hmm. students. Um, yeah. So then I became a teacher, went back to the high school I graduated from, had a horrible experience. Mm-hmm. Wait, um, as a first year teacher, you yeah, had a horrible experience? Yeah, I did. Is it uh, far enough removed that you can elaborate on that a little bit? Or? <laughs> it was, um, well, I had no prep. I oh, coached God. three what? seasons of sports. What? I um, was part of a house that, um, so I liked that. I was in the ninth grade house, um, and we were in a ninth grade campus, mm-hmm. um, which was, when I was at school, that was like where the pregnancy campus was, mm-hmm. and then they made that to ninth grade campus. Um, <laughs> so that was interesting. interesting um, but it was, <laughs> I worked with three teachers who did not care for kids, and so, you know, I'm trying to schedule parent conferences mm-hmm. and do the whole house thing and work collaboratively, and they're like, oh, what are you doing? Like, we don't do that. Um yeah, it was What's just, the point of having a having a collaborative team if you're not going to collaborate? Well, you know, they were just told to, yeah. right? Like, this is right. just some new initiative. Yeah. Um, and it was just—but I didn't know. I was just shock and awe. I, I was exhausted. I I really don't know how I made it through that year, but mm-hmm. I did. Um, the kids were great. Um, I, I They had, a like, an interim principal who was kind of handling a transition, mm-hmm. so I, I got very little support mm-hmm. um, from administration. I did have a wonderful department chair who was also one of my favorite English teachers when I was there as a student, and she really helped me get out. Um, And so I transferred the next Mm -hmm. year to a much more healthy, functioning high school and had a wonderful experience. Mm And um, I'm so glad because that really saved my life in teaching. Um, And then, yeah, so I taught um, at Oriole Valley High School after that, and then, um, which was like in the project, which was actually right by where I used to go to middle school. So that was kind of cool. It's like 
back in the back in the hood. Did you feel like when you were back there, were you seeing some of the same things that you experienced as a student, or do you feel like they had changed hmm. a bit? No. So yeah. So the high school I graduated from, it was exactly the same. It was just like hmm. carbon copy. Like I hadn't even left. Hmm. Um, and then the new. So the high school that I taught at my second year was a new build. So that had opened. I think a year or two after I graduated. Mm. So it was still like brand new. Yeah. Um, really t- completely different type of staff. Um, and uh, it was a wonderful experience. Mm. I worked collaboratively, had a great house um, mates. I still was in a ninth grade um, house at that time too. But I just worked with wonderful people. I got connected with the union. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just a positive wonderful like oh this is what teaching is all about and and I was working with a lot of people who didn't think that because our kids were poor or of color or the majority of them were learning English um, were any less than mm-hmm. it was really about like how do we um, empower our students um, how do we grow them you know like they're in the world to change the world mm-hmm. we're in the world to change the world yeah. um, it was just really awesome and yeah. very supportive much more diverse teaching staff mm-hmm. as well younger teaching staff there's a lot of very mm-hmm. poignant differences so I was going to ask uh, a question about, about that teaching staff kind of side of things. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's more research that's been coming out in terms of um, helping create education, like change things in education so that it's a space where more students of color want to come back and teach. Mm-hmm. But also some, sometimes we're so focused on like the next generation, we kind of forget that like the current situation, there's still a number of teachers of color that are trying to work and trying to be supported in those spaces or not supported. And so I'm curious when you think about back to your early experiences, did you feel like you were, you, you mentioned it was both successful and challenging, like depending on the school, but did you feel like um, some of those things you read about now or that were that's kind of coming out in the research was relevant, like in terms of keeping you in the place, making you feel supported. Um, the notion of people often looking at teachers of color as disciplinarians rather than like instructional experts. I mean, was that any of your experience at all or what do you think about those things? Yeah, I um, hmm. so it, my it was a lot of the factions that I experienced in my first year of teaching was more generational, like age, mm-hmm. because I was young. I was mm-hmm. very young. I was 22. You know, I hadn't even got my teaching credential yet. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe. So, so I was, yeah, so I was in school and coaching three seasons and had no prep. God, I can't remember. Anyways. <laughs> I know, I'm just listening to you talk about it. I'm so tired right now. <laughs> yeah. just to share that. This explains so much about my life. Um, <laughs> so I... Um, but people discounted me because I was young and mm-hmm. it was also like, here's kind of an eerie scenario. I went to my AP econ teacher, um, who I liked a lot. And I said, Hey, I need some advice. And he said, stay away from the teacher's lounge. Don't mm-hmm. go to happy hour. Yeah. Don't oh. trust anybody here. <laughs> if you need anything, you can contact Sorry, me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, Oh, and he, and he was so disappointed when he saw me. He's like, what are you doing here? Mm. Oh, and I'm like, uh, and I was like, I don't know how to, like, I'm, I'm, and he's like, no, I mean, like, what are you doing here? Mm. You know, why are you back here? Mm. Um, and I, I didn't, it didn't register at the time now makes so much sense. Um, so in terms of, you know, being a teacher of color, I think just my learning style, my relational style is very different from white spaces. Yeah. And so it's hard for me as a teacher and even now, especially as a leader to be myself or to get mm-hmm. my needs met when I'm in very like white standard spaces um, and hierarchical spaces mm-hmm. um, and competitive spaces, which I just think are counterintuitive to the learning environment. Mm-hmm. So 
Um, I'm really grateful that I stepped away from public education and was in an organization and was able to work in a really healthy learning organizational way Mm -hmm. and make some good relationships and establish some great mentorships that I think have carried me through the past few years being back into a public Mm -hmm. system. Um, Because it's not meant for the current structure Mm -hmm. is not meant to support any other way of being other than the white patriarchy. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you don't subscribe to the white patriarchy, then you're going to be out of the norm and then you either have to fall in line Mm -hmm. um, or you kind of walk with a fractured heart, you know, and um, you have to find your people on the outside Mm -hmm. or that edge work or, you know, those safe spaces. And it's just, you know, and and I don't think we recognize just how like underground we Mm -hmm. have to be um, Mm -hmm. or how we have to do extra work to get our needs met Mm -hmm. um, or how you have to kind of like navigate very intentionally to find the people to trust Mm -hmm. and then still even only engage with them in very rare and opportune Mm -hmm. times versus it just being part of our work environment. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about a couple of examples of like that? So I'm I'm thinking about some of our listeners might not really or might might be wondering around like what does that really mean to be in these hierarchical or like Mm -hmm. you said white spaces. Mm -hmm. So when you think about those contrasting ways of communicating Mm -hmm. or ways of being, what are some of the ways that you see that really happen? Stories that you have from that. Yeah. Well I think you can model it into a classroom when you think about like disrespect or defiance. Mm -hmm. Why are you talking back? Why are you being loud? Mm you know, why are you calling out? Why Why did you contact that person? You need to go through the chain of command. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. You know, why are you asking me that question? You're supposed to know that. That's mm-hmm. why you're in the position you're in. Assume knowledge. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, why are you assembling this team? We're, why are we doing your job? Hmm. Um, you know, there, it's just those are, I guess, kind of on top examples. Um, you know, you, you get the whole like. Watch your tone. Yeah, yeah. Um, All the tone policing. Yeah, and and I think that, and and I think to name that though is that that is their experience, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yep. um, that's not comfortable. Or you know, when I was recently in a class, like as a student, and we kind of took hold, and I say we, I mean people of color took hold, and and we were reflecting on it. It made some people very uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and it was like, hey, that was not a white space during mm-hmm. that time. Mm-hmm. And that was us making meaning out of something in a very non-white way. Mm-hmm. And white people in that class were extraordinarily uncomfortable. And the rest of us were like in church, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. finally. Like, welcome to the and what it, our experience yeah. all the time. And, it, and that mm-hmm. was really striking. Mm-hmm. Um, it was wonderful that we were able to reflect on that. But it's like, yeah, that's what it is. So when mm-hmm. I, I'm a verbal processor mm-hmm. and I'm loud and I'm like in your face and I'm doing these things. And I... And among many people like that of color, and that's just how mm-hmm. we roll, right? And we're chatty and we're, you know, mm-hmm. we're just doing our thing and moving and, you know, whatever, right? And and that's that's not appropriate, right? And mm-hmm. um, and I got in trouble for this all the time as a student. And our black girls get in trouble for it all yeah. the time as students now. Um, and it's just like it, – it's just a very different way of being um, – and a lot of things are seen as disrespect mm-hmm. um, that it's like this has nothing to do mm-hmm. with disrespect. This is just literally how I'm processing the world around mm-hmm. me. Um, and I do that as an adult, too. Mm-hmm. So I like when I want to ask certain questions or when I need to vent or when I just need to you know, talk about things racially because, mm-hmm. it's, you know, people are fragile. Um, I have to find those safe spaces and I have to, like, navigate how do I know I can trust mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I find those people, it's like, you know, you cling on to them for dear life because yeah. literally mm-hmm. they, they what help us stay alive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like this, you know, how do I 
get to learn alongside you. Um, mm-hmm. How do I get to grow? Because I need to grow and develop as a as an educator. But it's also like, how do I learn how to mm-hmm. learn and grow mm-hmm. with you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's this double learning, double yeah. la- layers of learning. Well, because there's like the um, it's like the contortions you do to to fit into spaces where you feel really othered and uncomfortable um, and still being a professional mm-hmm. in those same settings, right? Like um, there's a quote that was on social media going around about like if you're in education, you're either mm. you either are like going with the flow. I don't even remember who said you're, it. Like or a, you're a liberator or an oppressor. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I was actually just at that training. Oh, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> maybe it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're yeah, either. We'll, we'll link to that quote. Yeah. Actually. You're either on it or you're, you're on board with the the way the system's functioning or you're a radical within the system. So, I mean, I can't imagine that that's not, I'm, you're, you're brave. Like you're, that's amazing. So do you think, um, I have two questions. Um, one, how do you feel like the role of your gender plays in some Mm. of these? Like, where's that intersection? Do you think it's worse or just different? Or are you seeing that manifested? Like some of the things you mentioned about like people saying, well, you should just know. I kind of feel like, Generally, one, often, if I'm going to generalize, men tend to just pretend that they know things in ways that women often are conditioned not to pretend. And we often, you know, like just, you know, always are like deferring the other direction. Like, I just Mm. didn't know or whatever. So I'm wondering about that. Um, What do you think? Mm. Um, So I think something I don't think I'm unique in this, but I'm really masculine in nature. Like I'm big. I'm loud. Like my presence is I don't really subscribe to anything ladylike. I curse all the time. I, you know, like so I I feel like when people first meet me and work with me, I'm very much a force to be reckoned with. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that force is, is that I do not um, fall around the the femininity. Um, and so I think sometimes that puts people off immediately. And then mm-hmm. once you get to know me and I guess get comfortable with my way of being, mm. um, you, you still know I'm not a lady, Does mm-hmm. that, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, so I think it's the, the people who like my abrasion is immediate. Yeah. Right. I am abrasive immediately. And I am like, whoa, you know, like you're almost six feet tall and you have big mm-hmm. hair and you have a big mouth and you you know are saying things that I'm just not used to. And so they can't I just don't I just cannot be labeled in a feminine space or in a mm-hmm. feminine way. So I guess that's a benefit to me in some yeah. ways, because then I think after that, then people don't get to box me into a lot mm-hmm. of ways of femininity that many women are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but that's also why I'm disliked easily, mm-hmm. right? Or polarized easily. Um, because it's like, you shouldn't be acting like that, mm-hmm. um, you know, because you are a woman. Or like, you make me uncomfortable because mm-hmm. you are this big physical presence and are saying bad words. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know? And I so I think that's... Um, uh, yeah, I just I just think that's something that's kind of unique to to my thing. I and I I really don't subscribe to all of these things, and I, I think that's just my existence, right? Like I am an intersectional. I have I'm bicultural. I'm biracial. I'm I'm physically not representative of you know the majority of feminine you know spaces. So it's just like I just like I just can't mm, yeah. ever function. I will never be. You know, I'm just bred differently. Um, and so that's mm-hmm. um, but that was really hard when I was forming as a person, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I got a lot of pushback and, you know, and and particularly when and, you know, I was in a place where there wasn't a lot of biracial or multiracial people. And so it was like, which one are you? You know, you got to mm-hmm. pick a side. And then 
um, you know, just all these different things that you're kind of forced into. Um, so again, I, um, I'm lucky for some of the spaces that I've been able to get to mm-hmm. and just like raised by two very confident people who um, are also not really American. Like even though my dad mm-hmm. is born and raised in America, he's a black man from America. So he has his own issues around the diaspora and, you know, his existence of being um, descendant of, of slaves mm-hmm. um, or African people who were enslaved. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my mother's British, mm-hmm. you know, and she's she's something else. So um <laughs> But and and but my and my dad lived yeah. overseas forever. Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. like his whole like his you know Very seventeen yeah. he joined the air force and then I mean he lived overseas for like twenty three years. And that changes your whole yeah. paradigm. Of, um, yeah. So he just you know he doesn't understand any of this stuff or care about it yeah um although he's still very proud to be an american he's yeah. quite an interesting the as well. enigma <laughs> yeah like yeah. so i just yeah so i um yeah so i think a lot of the pushback i get is in my i guess leadership position is mm. i think more representative of you know well your administration and administration mm. needs mm-hmm. to do this and mm-hmm. i think we're also in a really heightened weird time around mm-hmm. teachers and administrators or versus administration mm-hmm. or um, and and that's a whole nother podcast. But um, I think that's unfortunate mm-hmm. because, um, you know, I'm I'm really not a title person and I really don't subscribe to the hierarchy, but um, I'm kind of forced in a system and in a sensitive time. That's that's very palpable. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a lot of things that we need to navigate around it. I found that quote that Annie was mentioning earlier. Maybe this is – I don't know if this is the right one. But an educator in a system of oppression is either a revolutionary or an oppressor. That's mm-hmm. it. That's, That's the, the one. one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's Laron Bennett. Um, what do you think about that? I mean mm-hmm. you're doing this work around liberation and liberation education, which we haven't actually defined mm-hmm. yet. <laughs> yeah. So well, I mean, and what being, do you think about this and being in a leadership role, I mean mm-hmm. that's yeah. a totally different mm-hmm. dynamic. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're not just leading a building. You're also um, – you're also – Working, I mean, like with our admin team right now, we're working on evaluations, right? Like, mm-hmm. how do you evaluate teachers, mm-hmm. right, in a way that is that matches your values? Because there's a whole, I mean, there's so much to your job that I can't, I can't even wrap my brain around it. <laughs> so, yeah, what is that? Mm-hmm. What is that? What was your question, Hope? I don't even know. Well, I, just, I mean, do you think that as an educator, it's a, it's a binary? Is it like you're either a revolutionary or an oppressor? What do you think about that? Yeah, and do you think I that do. education in America is I an do. oppressive system? I think there's a lot of nice – I think the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I think there's a lot of people in schools who are with the best intentions and feel like they're doing the Lord's work are oppressing our children. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think um, – and so I think it's it's not that simple and it is that simple, yeah. right? Like it's – no, I don't think people wake up in the morning and go to a school and say, hey, I'm going to oppress these kids. Um, and there, you know, I think I have worked with many teachers alongside and, you know, and, you know, just in the world of teaching is this is what's right to me. Right. Yeah. This this is what worked. I need to prepare you for the real world. Right. Mm-hmm. And these are things that work in the world and these are things that don't work in the world. But it's so funny because there's I feel like there's often not an acknowledgement of what the real world is going to be for that kid. And to me, the real world is also encapsulated by the person's like class position, their racial like presentation, like all those things also dictate what the quote unquote real world is going to be for them. And I'm like, hey, I'm this like middle class white lady who's like the real world's going to be like this. So, I mean, mm-hmm. is, they don't know that. <laughs> right. And right. so and these people, I feel like just put that out there rather than being like, here's one version of the real quote unquote real world. And here are some other things that we're seeing in research mm-hmm. or like 
you know, we can read and we yeah. think this is going to prepare you. But also I think I've mentioned this before, but like I feel like talking to students about the real world is very uh, dismissive of their lived experiences because so many of our students ha- live in the real world like full time. <laughs> like they're working for their families and they're putting food on the table and they're what? they're ta- they're getting themselves yeah. to school so, every day. Yeah. This and is so, it. Right. Like yeah. That's exactly. It. So that's how limited the perspective or understanding of I think the majority, unfortunately, the majority of educators yeah. have is they mm-hmm. what are you even talking about yeah. when you say the real world right. and real world for whom right and you know like so i mean there's so many things to unpack and i think that's where the oppression continues mm-hmm. is if you don't have people questioning and stopping people and be like what do you mean by that mm-hmm. and where's your assumption based on that and you know right by whose standards i yeah. mean even just push clapping back with that you know yeah. you get like what you know well that's yeah. just how it works it works where yeah and yeah. who makes who decides that yeah. that's how it works and isn't the whole point of us being here to ensure that things change and grow yeah so then wouldn't you know we want our kids to <laughs> yeah. not grow up and just fall in line isn't yeah. the whole point of you mm-hmm. you know pushing on these like high rigor and you know highly capable and all these things so that they think critically mm-hmm. and like want to do things differently and make mm-hmm. the world a better place well if mm-hmm. that's the case then I don't want to prepare them for what's been <laughs> yeah right I yeah. mean and neither should you yeah. um and then you know if, if we even get to that part then it's like all right so what does that mean along all of these different levels of existence but again when when that existence doesn't apply to you mm-hmm. you know 80 what 82 87 what is it in the 80s percent white women yeah yeah, and particularly in Washington State, it's, yeah, oh, high range. yeah. I think national average is like in the high 70s, but again, it's like, it's still too many. Yeah. It's still ever so well, many. And it's just the yeah. way you Dominant. navigate the world as a white woman is so different. Yeah. Yeah. It is so, yeah. so different. It's right. unimaginable yeah. compared to a black man yeah. or a Guatemalan immigrant. Yeah. Or, you know, right? Like, I mean, we, because we don't even put it like that. It's just like, oh, Hispanic. I mean, what is, what are you even talking mm-hmm. about, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, and then it's heteronormative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we don't, I mean, so all of these things that we don't talk about. So I think that's, and, and, and to talk about it is revolutionary or radical, mm-hmm. right? Oh, I can't, you know, we can't talk about those things. Or why are you talking about those things? And it's, um, and it's like, because that's, that's the real world, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, it's never that simple. Um, it's not normed like that. And, and our students and adults, mm-hmm. Um, that are not in education work that way. I think that, um, I can't remember who it was that told me this, but a teacher told me this. Like, you know, so many high school teachers go to high school, go to college, and then come back to high school, and they have Mm -hmm. no concept of the real world, right? Like, they're (laughs) stuck, like, in Back to the Bell. It's like an academia blind tunnel for, yeah. And so they, I mean... And I thought that was pretty, I was like, oh, gosh, I never even thought about that, yeah. you know? Um, it's true. I mean, I, I have, you know, there are folks that I've met in, in Ed who never worked a job that wasn't mm-hmm. a, a on-campus mm-hmm. job in college mm-hmm. because they went straight through, right, and didn't stop. And I don't know how many times I heard it when, when I was in high school. It didn't happen as much when I was in college because I was a political science major, and it was just assumed that we were all going to go, you know, be legislative aides and then go run campaigns, but because that's what a lot of folks did out of our program. But the um, when I was in high school, I was t- in middle school, teachers told me all the time, well, you should be a teacher. You should be a teacher. How many students get that messaging who are not who are non-white female, like mm-hmm. non-female mm-hmm. students don't get that messaging? Mm-hmm. You should be a teacher. You should be a teacher, mm-hmm. right? When there's so many of our students have, have so much to give as educators, but the system is not welcoming. Well, and what's so funny about that, too, is when you have men in education work, then they're the top on the shoulders. You should be an administrator. Uh-huh. Right? You should be an yeah. administrator. You should. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like that's. 
that's, right. that's the next that's step just for what you, you do yeah, yeah. because you nobody wants to stay in teaching that long you gotta, yeah, you gotta do yeah. These things. Yeah. yeah no one's ever told me i would be a good administrator hmm. interesting i wonder why not um let's take a quick break here and then we're okay. gonna come back and talk more smack okay bye <laughs> hey hope did you have a good weekend yeah it was great nate and i were out of town friday and saturday night and then nice. on sunday we flew back home wait how is that possible like, we were messaging you and you and i were messaging each other back and forth all day you were on a flight? <laughs> Girl, you know about free messaging on Alaska flights, don't you? No, I did not know about that. Maybe a certain podcast co-host could have told me. I'm telling you now, it's amazing you can chat for free with Facebook Messenger, iMessage, and WhatsApp from the flight. So like in the air. Wow. So instead of grading papers on the flight, I could be chatting with my IWL BFF for free? Yes, it's truly magical. This changes everything it really does we can do all kinds of podcasting notes we can do, have Seriously. a little chat about our next pinterest For episode free. Yeah. so to book your next trip and send messages from the sky visit alaskaair.com we, we fly, fly alaska, alaska. support channel 253 by becoming a subscribing member for four dollars a month do it please <laughs> So let's jump back into this conversation about um, oppression and liberation because, you know, why not on a Sunday afternoon when we're recording? Um, can you talk a little bit about how – what is the regu- radical educator that was radical in education? Radication. What is um, liberation? I keep wanting to say theology, honestly, because I grew up like in a, in a church context. So sorry about that. Liberated education theory. I mean, what does that even mean? Yeah, I'm not fancy or academic enough for that, but I, <laughs> I, what I, what I mean by it, or I guess kind of how I'm entering into the work around it, is to really be counterintuitive to oppressive patriarchal standards. Um, so, and and whiteness. Um, and I and I mean that to liberate everyone, right? Because again, like we were just talking about this, right? You have teachers who just don't know any better or mm. don't know any. And so they are limited and they are harmed as well. Mm. Um, you know, how painful is it to say, gosh, I've functioned in this world for, you know, 37 years thinking that this was what was right. And I've gotten up every morning and worked really hard. Right. Because let's mm-hmm. name this. Our teachers work really yep. flipping hard and the work and teaching is extraordinary. And um, and then I'm just told that, like, I'm oppressing kids. You know, like that. Now you got. Now I got to deal with that. You know, mm-hmm. um, and and so I, I mean, like, let's. So it's it's harming everybody. Um, and so I, I I think in terms of liberation, it's it's getting out of the master's house. Mm-hmm. Um, I I talk about this a lot. Is I don't want to make kids more comfortable in the master's house, um, which I think is that other element of that oppressiveness, yeah. right? Where it's like, oh, we'll just tuck you in. You know, mm-hmm. with a com- more comfortable mattress and a nice comforter and you'll sleep better and then you'll get up and work better and it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, no, get the hell mm-hmm. out of that house. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and all of us need to be out of that house. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that that's what I mean by liberation is where we can live our authentic selves and chase true dreams um, to really be in community with each other mm-hmm. um, and all of us with each other. So not chasing some standard, not the quote unquote American dream, which again is just another nice term for the white man's dream. Yeah. Um I wish we just start calling that the white man's dream, right? <laughs> because that's what it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's what it is. And it, you know, and white guy that could work for you. And yeah. that's great. But I'm not a white guy and I have a different way in which I want to dream my life. And I want to be able to be supported and reared to do that. And I think if I'm able to live my life and you're able to live your life and you're able to live your life, mm. we are happier, healthier people and we contribute um, to a world far more than just consumers mm. um, and taxpayers. 
Um, and and so I think that's that's the liberation, mm-hmm. right? Is like we have to recognize that school, the, the function of school that we operate in was an industrialized function. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking about this for years and we just like put a bird on it and like, okay, it's different. And it's like, no, it's mm-hmm. not, right? Like you, it's, you have to yeah. dismantle the system and this, because right now the system is doing exactly what it's intended to do. So people talk about this. Oh, the system of schooling is broken. No, it's not. The system of schooling is very well functioning. It's doing exactly what it's supposed mm-hmm. to do. We have a lot of people broken from the system mm-hmm. and working mm-hmm. broken in the system, but the system is fine. Um, so liberation would be dismantling that system. Can you um, recap for like less edu- people in education in terms of what do you think the system is doing that's exactly what it's intended? Less education people I mean, yeah. is what you're trying to say. The system is <laughs> sorting and yeah. defining people. It is teaching people to be compliant. Mm. It is establishing rules and normativity. And then it is um, essentially indoctrinating all the participants in it to grow up and follow the rules. Um, and there are people who know that rules don't apply to them. I think we're seeing a lot of that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are a certain type of student or a certain type of person, depending on your class and race and gender, then your life will be one way and you know everybody else's lives won't. And that's OK. And I think we are even doing this harmfully in higher ed. Everybody needs to go to a four-year college. Mm-hmm. You need to go to a four-year college mm-hmm. so that you can be somebody. Well, now I need to go to a four-year college and pay somebody else to do the same kind of things to teach me like what it means to be disciplined or I can show you that I'm a good worker because I can go through another Mm -hmm. four years Mm -hmm. of following, you know, instructions. And even though I think college education is very different in terms of like the ability to think, I mean, higher ed is a really messy system as Mm well. Um, It's a very white space. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, um, it's further disenfranchising people economically. Mm -hmm. Um, that we're just not naming again, mm-hmm. right? And so it's, again, this sense of value systems and it's perpetuating this dominance of, like, certain people will always be ahead and certain mm-hmm. people will always be behind. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what we need to dismantle. Um, and I think, you know, even if you don't have kids in school or you're not in school or you're not working in schools, this makes a huge difference in the economic viability of your community. And this makes a huge difference in terms of the ability of your neighbors um, mm-hmm. and really just the future of the, the earth, right? Like, literally, you know, the ecosystem that mm-hmm. we operate in if we don't have people who are really able to be in it and save it and work with it, um, which is not what we prepare kids to do in school, mm-hmm. then, I mean, it will crumble. And so will we. Mm-hmm. So how do we dismantle? I don't know. I'm trying to figure that out. <laughs> um, and so I, We could always do unschooling. Yes. Uh, right. To get out of school. Um, I don't I, – I think – I don't want to perpetuate mm-hmm. the act of dominance or oppression by saying, well, here's the answer. Yeah. Um, I did some research on it. <laughs> I was trying to trick you a little bit. I so, know it's, but it's true. Yeah, I, but that's like, how it is. Right? I, yeah. you know, I worked for an innovative network, yeah. and it's like project-based learning. It's like I cannot consciously come to you and say this is the way of schooling mm-hmm. by after preaching to you about how you can't just do one way of schooling. I mean, this is, I feel like this is the tension with any kind of thing. You're like, okay, here are the problems. We need to fix the problems, but then I want to do it collaboratively or like co-generated. But then you're like, but also like, who's no one's co-generating it with me? So then I'm going to suggest my mm-hmm. listicle of five things to do. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, well, and that's what we're seeking, right? Well, just yeah. tell me what to do. Yeah. What book yeah. do I need to read? Yeah, what totally. training do I need to go to? Mm-hmm. Well, that's perpetuating the white patriarchy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't want you to read a book, and I don't want you to go to a training. Uh, I would like you to come in conversation with me and listen to me, and let's just start some work together, mm-hmm. right? Um, our liberation is bound to to being with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if we stopped and listened um, and responded to what we hear, like like in our in our idiom of ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, and really just listen to who other people are, I think that would be revolutionary. Um, I think, you know, 
it, it would be it's going to be a really big lift. It's not something that I even think could be achieved in my generation of life in terms of like really dismantling the entire system when you think about the legislative systems mm-hmm. and the financial systems and the community systems. But I think there can be some big shifts in just how we think about things and even just naming the master that we're serving mm-hmm. would be profound mm-hmm. um, and make some some big shifts. And so I think what I'm trying to do as an educator and what I will do in whatever role that I'm in is really just um, seek to understand and then respond to what I hear. Like it's, you know, the whole student voice thing. Like we, we need to hear more from students. Well, are you going to do what they say? Yeah. <laughs> like, are you ready for that? Because um, we have a lot of kids yeah. who say things. We, oh, but it's just the kids, you know, mm. they don't know. People but do the same thing when survey. you're like community organizing, right? They're like, well, I want to really know what these this population thinks in this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And you're like, really? Are you sure? Because mm-hmm. first of all, you've only asked two people and you asked the two people that you chose. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure you're still going to just do what you think. Because <laughs> we do it, right? Like, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and here's the feedback. But, you know, there's always so I think um, when I think about liberated learning is just, again, really for people to be authentically who they are and are able to engage in the work. Um, I think schools really are the impetus of change, mm-hmm. that they're small scale enough, but I think they are um, inspiring in a way. It's just like when you open up your classroom, come see me teach. And like mm-hmm. you see other people teaching, you're like, holy crap, my whole entire practice has shifted from seeing two other people mm-hmm. today. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like I never even thought about it that way. So mm-hmm. if schools could network with each other. Mm. If we really built a community of practice, the work of education would change. Mm. Um, If teachers and administrators and board members functioned differently as a community um, and really wanted to learn from Mm. each other and with each other and Mm -hmm. were open to the future and were listening to the young people and respected, um, a keyword respect, Mm -hmm. our young people and what their needs are, um, then education would look very different from what mm-hmm. it does right now. Mm-hmm. So the work that you're doing around this now, you're kind of kind of pulling some people together mm-hmm. and having these conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, how is that going? Is it moving at the pace you want it to? Does it? <laughs> Nothing I mean, ever moves at the pace I want it to. <laughs> um, I am relentlessly dissatisfied. Mm. Um, and I'm very impatient. That would be a really good band name, side note. Relentlessly <laughs> dissatisfied. <laughs> yeah. Um, I... So, no, it's not moving as fast as I want it to. But I think it's um, moving, and I think Mm. people are engaging with me, and and that's something I'm really grateful for. Mm. Um, And I think what I've also recognized is there's a lot of people who feel alone in Mm. this work. And so it's just really inspiring when people are like, hey, I'm not alone in this. Um, And I'm learning a lot from other people, and Mm -hmm. I think making that very visible is important, too, because I I don't know. I just – I know what I don't know so far, right? Like, um, And I (laughs) – I'm just eager to to know more so and to get people connected. So that works. It's going well. Um, and like I said, it's, it's going to be my life's work. Mm-hmm. So I know you um, have done some work and have talked a little bit about like one of the things dis- you're dismantling or working to dismantle in education is just the anti-blackness that exists mm-hmm. In, mm-hmm. in schools. Mm-hmm. Can you speak a little bit to that? Mm. Gosh, well, I mean, anti-blackness is in all things. Yeah. So I, I, it's, I think it's a societal feeling that just also exists in schools Mm -hmm. because schools are microcosms of society. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think, yeah, I mean, anti-blackness is is huge. Um, So again, just naming it, just Mm -hmm. saying, um, 
that things are anti-black and and by whose definition of blackness, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think that's part of the conversation that I don't know that that many people are, oh, like I'm not seeing, like I'll say it that way, like white people having that yet. I think there's some like writing that's starting to get about just pointing out in the first mm-hmm. place that a lot of white mm-hmm. people are like, what the hell mm-hmm. um, is happening? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the definition though is also complicated. It is. What do you, what do you, what are you seeing about that? What What's the conversation you feel like is happening? Mm. Well, I think uh, I feel well. What's interesting to me is I feel like I hear multiple, and they're different in their Hmm. in their senses of like what does it mean to be black, right? So I I mean I circle among multiple black people who have very different experiences Mm -hmm. of what it means to be black Mm -hmm. and what their struggles are. Um, So I think you know one explicit form of anti blackness is to convolute all black people as to being one way, or um, which I think is really harmful. Um, And so an easy way to be anti black is to just think all black people are. Is a monolith? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we do this to all non-white groups, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Like, so it's, it's, oh, this is what it means to be black. This is what it means to be Hispanic. Mm-hmm. This is what it means to be Asian. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what it means to be Indian from India. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's just all these things. Yeah. That it's just like, what are you? Um, so there's this very poignant otherness. Yeah. Um, and I think also what's striking about anti-blackness is that when someone of the black community says, well, I don't subscribe to that blackness that you dis- that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Then there's like this horror of like mm. otherness of among your own, right? Or um, so I think that's um, that's also very striking. Mm. Um, I when I when I think about anti-blackness in schools, however, I think there's something really poignant, particularly around black males and black females, is you know size, mm-hmm. stature, mm-hmm. the adultery, mm-hmm. like how we adult, mm-hmm. we make. Black kids, adults, yeah. like they're grown. Mm-hmm. Um, they act grown. They talk grown. Um, they need grown consequences. Um, we, mm-hmm. you know, this uh, this heightened sense of disrespect mm-hmm. um, and defiance um, and threat, just mm-hmm. flat out threat, right? Um, and then I think we also, you know, just kind of defer to, well, you can't, you know, you're not just going to be an athlete, but I need you to be an athlete, mm-hmm. right? Like how many mm-hmm. times have I, oh, you got to get them to play football. You got to get them to do this. You gotta, it's like, what, what are you talking about? Like, mm-hmm. you're just talking about how they can't, they, they need to be, they need to be more than that. Yeah. And yet you want to recruit them so that you have a good sports team. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, with the look of the kids in this building, it's shocking that whatever, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I've mm-hmm. walked with schools that I'm like, what are you guys talking about? Um. So the what I what I think is really interesting to me about anti-blackness like for me what I'm most eager around is we don't like it when black people arise. Hmm. We don't like it when they can articulate who they are and what mm-hmm. they want in their way and people mm-hmm. listen. Mm-hmm. Um and so th- what I find striking about anti-blackness is we want black people to be subpar. Yeah subhuman by the white standard we want them to know their place Mm. and when black people um come to level or even above then we are very we as in white people are very um threatened by that and um and show our actions accordingly right and we see it in all you know always a society so you know a black criminal sleeping in a car Mm. that black criminal um, is asleep, but I need to still shoot that person 20 mm-hmm. times. Um, was that person even a criminal? I don't know, but that's what I saw. 
And mm-hmm. so that's why I shot in the car 20 times, mm-hmm. 20 times. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, white people can be de-escalated and arrested right, yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. And then had, you know, were bullied when they were children. So, you know, oh, it makes perfect sense kid. why they're mm-hmm. like struggling. It's so tough that mm-hmm. they just grabbed a gun and killed a bunch of people. Um, you know, because we don't acknowledge that our entire system is a huge yeah. bully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, right. Yeah. Um, a very blatant, loud, obnoxious bully. But, but it's not mm-hmm. us. So I don't hear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, yeah, you just see, you know, the the way we treat, I mean, you know, look at the Obamas and how yeah. they were treated and the standards that they were held to, yeah. um, you know, other people of prominence that are black that are, again, just not fitting into a mm-hmm. certain line or a certain way of being. Mm-hmm. And we're very anti that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's this, you know, the easy one, like police brutality and, you know, the killing of black people, um, the murdering of them. Like, yeah, that's anti blackness, but it's like, no, we're anti, you know, it's just those micro, like, oh, you're so articulate. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, even like that whole that school, it was in Louisiana where like they had to sell those sob stories to get kids into college, Mm -hmm. they fabricate all those stories. Mm -hmm. That is an anti blackness Mm -hmm. experience, Mm yeah, right? Um, because God forbid kids are just smart, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right, black kids yeah. can't just be smart. They can't the be well raised. They also have to be. Yeah. They also have to they be sad. Have two parents who love them. Tragic. Yeah. To yeah. be, you have to have a reason why they're smart. Yeah, they yeah. Have to, that's right? a really good point. Right. I mean, that is that's the, the stuff that I'm talking about. You, yeah. And and again, you don't have to be white to be anti-black. Mm-hmm. Huh. Um, you the anti-blackness is a cultural context. You can very much be any race and subscribe to the white patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. good. Good point. Oh, I no. Um, when you think about ways, like thinking about in the classroom context for us, um, so what, I mean, what you're talking about, like, I think gets me thinking a lot about like the ways that I can try to fight that in myself yeah. and try to fight that kind of ideology or things that I've internalized or the way that I look yeah. around me and engage with folks, um, like especially how, black people. How do, yeah, how do individual educators combat anti-blackness in their classroom? Like, what does that look like? Oh, man. I think it looks like a lot of therapy mm. um, and not like you have to go to a therapist. But I think it it requires a lot of reflection, um, a lot of introspection, a lot of forgiveness. Um, mm. And and I think getting over yourself like it's not about you. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like um, the unlearning phase is, is profound. And I think we need help and support. And that's what I mean by the therapy part in yeah. in continuing in the unlearning phase because again the system really wants to realign Mm -hmm. itself Mm -hmm. right um it wants it to be much easier for you to just follow specific strategies and establish certain norms and Mm -hmm. name things in the name of safety or you know all these ways that we manipulate things right um yeah don't get me started on the safety right (laughs) i have like seven blog posts about like white people's fascination with safety that's never actually about safety yeah um and safety could be very much an anti-black um, yeah. structure. Yeah. So I it's a dog whistle politics too. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so I, I I think you know if if I was going back to the classroom and thinking, okay, if I'm um, how do I tackle you know the systemic oppression mm-hmm. and structures that are just um, anti-non-white? Yeah. Um, I think it's first is just seeing the structures, mm-hmm. making sure that you always have clear eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's first a huge step, um, yeah. you know, and, and being able to see that in the midst of all the things that are going on around you, that's where the revolutionary acts are. Because if we did not subscribe to the system that we're in and actually 
created a sense of space and being in our profession that was countercultural, yeah. it would make the work a lot easier mm-hmm. too, right? Like, um, so it's simple things like school bells, mm-hmm. right? Where I'm like, I'm very anti-school bells. Yeah. I hate school bells. Um, I just can't stand yeah. them. I'm like, we're not cattle. Yeah. This is not a prison. Right. It totally I'm reminds not me of prison. Told when Every I time leave. I'm like. Um, yeah. Like, and I've been in schools, many schools with thousands of kids mm-hmm. that can get from point A to point yeah. B without school bells. Mm-hmm. Um, how is that? Yeah. Well, it's because they understand time. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> all the clocks actually yeah. have batteries at work. And, and, and there's an agreement that they've all agreed yeah. to. And they don't transition every freaking 50 minutes because yeah. who does that? Nobody does that in the in the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Back to the real world. But like, so I think, but that's a counter, you know, I mean, one of the most fascinating things to people when they visit schools, like, I, there's no bells. How do they get to, how mm-hmm. do they get to class on time? Well, what do you mean by on time? Mm-hmm. Right? Like. What is this 30 seconds after the bell? What is, you know, what is that? Um, that stresses people out. That, I mean, yeah. a lot of the discipline that happens in the school building has to do with structures that are just ridiculous. And, and then, arbitrary. You know, yeah. yeah. So anyways, I, when I think about, gosh, if I was in a classroom and I'm like, hey, it's good to see you. We got some things to do. I really want to fight for block scheduling so I can actually have some time with you. Yeah. Um, I'd like to just reimagine actually the entire use of a school day. And mm. let's look at like anti-grading and let's look at competency-based grading and let's look at ways in which we can be professional together and really learn together mm-hmm. and not again you have 60 minutes or 75 right. minutes in this time to work together but real time for us to get to know each mm-hmm. other and learn together i'd like for it to be more of an open door policy mm-hmm. i'd like you know just all of these elements that would be phenomenal mm-hmm. um to and what it what it does is it it lessens the power of whiteness yeah right yeah. so it's not I need to to not be anti-black. It's just mm. I need to lower the mm. prevalence of mm. whiteness. I just like, like if we just removed, if we just took white off the pedestal. That's, don't yeah, put white on the point. pedestal. That's a good point. Um, and and valued the patriarchy in the in the insane ways that we do. Mm. If we just did that, yeah, it would be like there would be huge shifts in the yeah. way that we are in existence, and yeah. then of course the way that we think about teaching and learning, and the way that we engage and build relationship with our kids mm-hmm. and their families. When are you starting your own school? I know, right? And that's that's, that's a real question. Yeah, no, I. But I mean, <laughs> ugh, so I mean, yeah. There's parts of me who are like, okay, I I I got to start something. Um, but I don't want to be on the edge, you mm-hmm. know. Like I really, I, and and I'm not. I I'm very pro edge workers, and I'm very grateful for the people out there really trying to show the way. Um, yeah. But I also am hopeful for those people to be the way and not mm-hmm. always have to be on the outside, mm-hmm. um, because I think you're still just you're honoring that system, right? By saying, okay, I'll just do it on the outside. Yeah, because if that became the norm, right? And then the edge were the the crappy like bell schools and, you know, mm-hmm. just like right. How much how mm-hmm. how amazing would it be if we flipped that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I'm I really I think my calling is very much to be grappling in in the system. Um and and kind of holding the space in the hearts mm-hmm. of those who are working within it. Um, I think it's important to keep that partnership and that um, community alive with people, quote unquote, on the outside mm-hmm. and saying, hey, we're not really all that outside from each other. Um, how do we really how do we really work as partners? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also very many times where I'm just like, fuck it, I'm just going to open up my own yeah. spot. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, but I I. You know that's that yeah. that continuous in our work of like, but then I'm, then I'm saying, okay, I guess I can't beat you, so I'll just yeah. do something different. And it's not, 
it's not even trying to beat you, right? I'm yeah. trying to liberate. Yeah. <laughs> right? So yeah. I'm... Yeah. And I'm, then if you're also, like, trying to um, fight the kind of conspicuous consumption of, like, you know, that um, you can just buy a curriculum and it works for every kid, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when you charge tuition, right? If you have a mm-hmm. private school, then it's like, oh, yeah, am no. I doing the right thing? Yeah. You know? Cause, and that's the, the, the B-I-T-C-H of it that, you, I mean, if in a... You can't have the funding you need to do the radical, amazing stuff that you need to do outside of the system because the system has sucked all of the money. All of it. Yeah. And that's a nice segue has, to or... TBD, our next segment on capitalism. Just kidding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Late stage capitalism. <laughs> yeah, that's like our next episode. Yeah. Um, so we're going to shift a little bit. Final two segments. Uh, one is called Guilty Favesies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interchangeable. White ladies. So, Kelly, is there anything that you feel? I don't know if you are you a person that feels guilt? Yeah, I'm Catholic. Oh, okay. Yeah. A lot of people you know have come it. on our you show and push back. They're like, I don't feel guilt. I don't feel guilt. I appreciate but I do. Like, yeah, I do I appreciate that. Yeah. Religious mm-hmm. and just I grew up in a religious household and have it was a sense of like, guilt. it was, mm-hmm. yeah, got the guilt. Mm-hmm. So, what do you enjoy that you also are like, eh, maybe I shouldn't do this as much as maybe I Maybe I shouldn't do like it. this as much as I do. <laughs> um, I love cigarettes. I don't <laughs> smoke them since I've had children, but I miss them every day of my life. Uh, and I am a proud past smoker and I wish I could smoke and I wish it wasn't bad for you. So, I feel guilty about that because I still like right now would just love to open up a pack of Lucky Strikes and mm-hmm. enjoy my Sunday afternoon. Um, Lucky Strikes, <laughs> those are my favorite <laughs> Turkish silvers. Um, I I I feel actually a lot of guilt about my privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah I I will always feel guilty. I I mean this is a, a hyperbole in terms of like the survivor you know mm-hmm. um, syndrome, but I really came out of a of a really, um, uh, just a really sad place. Um, mm-hmm. like in terms of the community that I was raised, I'm so proud to be from Dino. Like yeah. I am very, very proud mm-hmm. Dino person. Um, but I'm not there mm-hmm. and I feel guilty about that. Um, and I, I've lived a really good life. Um, and that's because of the privilege that I was afforded, you yeah. know, by my parents and, I feel guilty about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do feel guilty that I feel like my educational expertise is not happening in the town that made me become the educator that I am today. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel guilty as a parent who works a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm just, I'm not, I come home exhausted and fed up and, and then my kids get that and mm-hmm. my husband gets that. And that's why I don't want to have children. Yeah. <laughs> I feel, right? Like, um, I also did not want to have children and I feel guilty now that I do have children. The fact that I, I never wanted yeah. you. Um, <laughs> we can stop there. You don't have to do it anymore if you're like feeling, if you're guilt, feeling that. All the guilt. Um, That's hilarious. Yeah. So I, and, and I feel guilty that, like that I just can't do enough, right? Yeah. That relentless dissatisfaction. I, I, every day I'm just like, I'm not good enough. Yeah. Um, I'm not doing the good enough work or I, you know, um, I'm not a good administrator. Mm-hmm. I, you know, have not, I didn't give quality feedback. I'm, you know, not really supporting teachers the way I need to. I'm not supporting kids the way I need to, mm-hmm. or I didn't advocate enough, right? I'm not bringing justice the way I need to bring justice, mm-hmm. you know, just all these things. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a, a horrible cycle. Well, you're awesome for Thanks. even thinking about those things and being reflective on that at all. Yeah. Um, Annie, how about you? I feel um, right now my – I'm saying yes to everything mm-hmm. because I uh, have been doing that. And then I um, have to remember the advice from Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec <laughs> because he says don't half-ass two things, whole-ass one thing. Mm. So mine's actually related to Kelly's in the sense that like – I'm saying yes to a lot of things that I think are really important and I want to do, and then I am spread really thin. So I had one day last week and a one day the week before that where I was triple booked. 
I had a, I was advising a club. I had like SAT proctor training, mm-hmm. which don't get me started on the college board. That's a whole mm-hmm. other that's a whole other can of worms. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, then something else going on. They're all happening simultaneously, and I was like, "Can I be in three places at once?" I don't think I can. I'm gonna try, but I don't think mm-hmm. I can do that. So didn't work out. No, it didn't work out. Um, I'm gonna go with something totally not serious, like both of you have brought up. <laughs> I'm gonna go with eyeliner. So I really like different kinds of eyeliner, and um, I especially like glitter eyeliner. Um, but although I haven't had glitter eyeliner, eyeliner in a very long time, yeah. But I definitely what ran out feel, of eyeliner recently. What makes you feel guilty about? Um, you love it so like, much. Why do you need multiple types of eyeliner? <laughs> so I'm like, oh, seven colors, great. I'm just gonna layer and do these things, and I feel yeah. like, yeah, there's probably better use. Of my money for other things. But yeah. also, I'm like, oh, it's so cheap. But so my, I'm just going to. My, eye, my just, eyeballs are my pretty. Eyes. They're really pretty nice. now. Yeah. Uh, final segment. Do your fudging homework. Interchangeable. White ladies. All right. What are we recommending for our audience to do this week? Well, I discovered a. I discovered it for myself, not that I discovered right, it for the first time. I Columbus. <laughs> a thing. Um, I There's a, a peer reviewed journal called Radical Teacher. And I know it's been around since like the 70s. And so, like I said, didn't discover it. But for my own personal <laughs> self, I came across it. And I was like, oh, this looks really interesting. But it's a peer-reviewed journal. And it's about uh, pedagogy and curriculum and teachers trying to like disrupt systems and be more rad, as in radical. Um, so it's really great. They're, they pub- publish their stuff online. So you can find it there. And you can find it through JSTOR or any of the journal databases. But, yeah, it's it's got a lot of great stuff. Um and it's, it's very relevant and current. It's, uh, I think, quarterly. So it, they have, you know, it's, they're rocking. They're going. So hmm. anything that's affecting education right now, they're they're talking about it. So highly recommend. Awesome. How about you? Um, I think everybody needs to be connected either via Twitter. Mm-hmm. Well, yes. Everyone needs to be on Twitter. If you're not on Twitter, you need to be on Twitter. And you need to follow Clear the Air. Hashtag Oh, my air. gosh. Yes. I just Homework said that this morning. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I, I, there's so many other great yeah, chats correct. and um, Twitter things going on. And I just think it's, again, that sense of beloved community. Mm-hmm. Um, but for sure, clear the air. Uh, I'm going to recommend something I just uh, did at a training recently. There's something called the Power Flower, which uh, there's like lots of iterations where essentially it has you look at your privileges in society um, based on like your context, like U.S. context. And then you like color in the petals based on like what you have areas of privilege. And I just saw a new version of it that is done um, or created by a trans queer woman named Nicole Hurt. And I will link to it in the show notes. And it's a really inclusive power flower <laughs> like basically there's all these mm-hmm. different petals that I think really capture a lot of things like a lot of times there's missing one or two and it's got like all of them from yeah. your language to like your gender ID to your other kinds yeah. of gender to age I mean all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. so I'll link to that it's a good way to think about you know the places that you have power and you may or may not realize that you have power in those areas mm-hmm. and then I think it's good to say like okay now what you doing about it what are you going to do with yeah. these um, privileges also listen if you've ever been in a workshop with me and I used my power flower it's way better than mine <laughs> Hope sent me a picture of it, and I was like, "Dang it!" Because she made it's beautiful. It's yeah. artistically, it's a beautiful flower. It's yeah. very and comprehensive. Highly recommend. That's kind of awesome about it. Is they also you have to contact the woman herself directly to buy it from her. And well, so I'm also yeah. like, pay women of color for the work that they're doing for yeah, everybody else. Absolutely. So I'm super into that. Please so go buy her power flower. Okay. Buy all the power flowers. Kelly, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, thank you guys. Bye. Bye. <laughs> The Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is part of the Channel 253 Network. Listen to our other podcasts. Move to Tacoma. Nerd Farmer. Citizen Tacoma. Crossing Division. Flounder's B-Team. We Art Tacoma. And Taco Man. Ah, the worst. <laughs> no. <laughs>
Interchangeable White Ladies podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We We fly fly Alaska. Alaska. Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. This is Channel 253.